words there that remind me a little bit of the passage in um, Moses where, um, sorry, in Exodus where Moses stands before the burning bush. And it tells us as Moses stands before the burning bush that God speaks to him from the bush and he says, I have heard the cries of my people. Just think about that for a moment, that the God of Yahweh, the God of the heavens and the earth, that I have heard the cries of my people. It says, they have come up before me. And then it says these words, and so I will come down. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the God of the heaven and earth, the creator of the heavens and earth, that the God who holds the nations like like in the palm of his hands, or like a drop in the bucket to him, it says in the, in the scriptures, that he hears the cries of the slaves. He hears the cries of the refugees. He hears the cries of those in bondage. And then we're told, uh, not, not only have they gone up before me, but I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to come down. And obviously, God comes down ultimately in the biblical story in the person of Jesus. The word becomes flesh and dwells amongst us. But what we see through Moses and what we see then through Jesus is the way that he often wants to come down is through us. If Jesus is in us, he wants his heart to be expressed through us. And, And so I'm just saying that to say that I feel like we need to continue to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, prepare this space to be entrusted more and more with the brokenness in our community because God, I think, sits over our, reigns over our town, our city today. And as he, as he reigns over it, he's not just interested in what's going on in the churches this morning. He really is. He really is interested in that. He comes and he loves to be amongst his people. But he sits over and reigns over our city tonight and, and today. And his heart, is, his heart is broken. The cries of the, the, and the burden of people that are broken and lost goes up before him. And he will come down. He wants to come down. And often the way he wants to come down is through us. And so with that in mind, we just really feel um, as the Lord does a work in our hearts, there are two particular ways practically that we have to prepare for that. Um, uh, One of those ways is that we feel we need to create more space. And the second way is we feel we need to develop some of our structures a little bit more in order to carry part of the need and the brokenness that we feel that the Lord wants us to help reach out to. We feel that God has not called us to more Christian activity, but that God has called us to broken humanity. And we want to orientate the mission of the church, not around just more Christian activity, but we want to orientate the mission of the church around how do we reach a broken humanity whose cries have gone up before the Lord, and he wants to come down and entrust his people with his heart. And so this morning, I want to just focus for a little bit, very practically, on how we're going to do the first of those. We feel like we need to create more space. Over the past few weeks, it's become obvious that we're running out of space uh, in a good way, and we need to create more. Um, For practical reasons, first and foremost, we've reached the point, logically, where if everybody was here, I'm sure if you, not that you should do this, because I wouldn't want them to feel bad, because... Some people aren't here this morning for good reason. But if you were to think of everybody that's not here this morning, right, who usually is here, if everybody's here on the same Sunday, we wouldn't have enough room. Um, and with distance from requirements, we just, we just wouldn't be able to fit everyone in. And that's not a good thing. And more and more visitors are coming, which is wonderful. We want to give people a really good welcome. We don't want to shove them in, uh, particularly when we have to be careful still with distancing. Connect Cafe is starting this week, and in faith, we're believing that that will become a great access point for more people to want to come and be part of things on the Sunday. Very practically, it's also, we've also been really, really blessed with no rain on Sunday mornings so far, but I'm presuming that will change, right? Um, It'll probably get more cold and more wet, and that means that all the sort of standing around outside, which is lovely to see, will probably stop. People will come in, and so because of that, we're probably going to put a little sort of pop-up kind of 
foyer area, which will eat into a bit more space as well. And, and all of that to say that we are kind of running out of space. And also, there are some in our church family who, for really good reason, would like uh, to make sure that we maintain distancing. They've got, uh, you know, uh, patients who are, sorry, they've got parents or family members who are, who are uh, vulnerable, and, uh, and we want to make sure that we can create space for them to feel safe when they're in church in the right way. But I guess over and above all those kind of very practical reasons, spiritually, we want to leave room for growth because the kingdom of God is all about growth. You can't really have an imagination for growth when the church is full. And often people who are lost when they come in sometimes are, are, just want to be part of a family when they see it full. It doesn't really often feel like there's much of a place for them. But the kingdom is always about making, about making more room at the table. There should always be more space being created for another seat at the table. And as I say, if you have a full church, there's no imagination for growth. And, uh, and so we really feel like the Lord is, is developing and building a very special sense of family amongst us. He's revealing to us more and more of the beauty of the church. But that's never simply so that we just get to enjoy it. This in here is always for that out there. Yeah? This, what we do in here, is always for that. And we have to always remember it. And so with that in mind, we just feel in two or three weeks, in two weeks' time, two weeks from today, we're going to move to two services. One service is going to be at 9.30 uh, to 10.30. And then we're going to take a half an hour break, overlap. And then the next service is going to be from uh, 11 a.m. to 12 noon. Um, we're going to do kids just at one particular service, which will be the 9.30 service. Um, and um, we hope that that will cater for our kids really well. There's some things that aren't ideal about doing multiple services. This is part of the process of discernment and what we've prayed through. We'd rather be able to have all the family together. We'd rather be able to do the whole intergenerational, we're all together, one big family, at one go. I personally don't love the idea, if I'm being completely honest, of preaching twice on a Sunday back to back. It's not something that, like, I get like really, really excited about, but um, if I'm being honest, um, that's bad enough listening to myself once, to be honest, but, um, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, if it's about growing and about seeing the kingdom come, then that's what we really want to see and what we want to be about, and unfortunately, the building, just this particular space, in this particular short-term kind of phase of our story, doesn't allow us to have everyone in that the Lord is entrusting to us. We also don't feel like, ideally, if we were doing two services, we'd rather do kids at two, but at both services, but we just, the kids' environments, that is. Um, but uh, at the same time, we've realized that it's been quite an uh, effort that's been put in by Debbie and the team. We've done a phenomenal job to get our teams back up and going for one um, service, and we just feel it would be unfair to say to them, right, we want you to be here at nine and leave at one and do two services back to back at this stage. And so we're just going to do kids at one service. Kids at the second service are more than welcome, obviously, but we just won't have a kids environment for them. So you might want to think about that just when you're planning. And we also think in the short term, it does allow for those who be a little bit more nervous about distancing, it creates a little bit more space, maybe particularly in that second service for you to come to. Um, but ultimately, this is all happening because we feel the Lord is moving in our midst. It's one of those good problems, if you like, to try and solve and pray about and think about. And I hope that's helpful to you. We wanted to help you discern that. We've chatted and prayed about these leaders over the last month and with some of our wider leaders as well. And, um, and happy to take any questions or thoughts or discernment from anybody after this service. We'd love to chat to you 
if you have any thoughts on it. Um, but for now, it fits really perfectly, to be honest, with where we're teaching into this morning, and uh, which is all about the parable of the sower, and seed is all about growth, and seed is all about multiplication, and seed is all about the potential for fruitfulness. And so, uh, practically, we're applying this in some ways to our church life and to our church family. And so I'm going to go back this morning to Matthew chapter 13, if that's okay. And I'm going to read. This one isn't on the screen. We will have some stuff on the screen in a moment. But this particular passage, um, I'm just going to read to you. Um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn to it. Um, let me read this, this parable of the sower. And um, <clears throat> the, first, um, the first number of verses. I'm just going to read again what... Um, Chris read last week, but I'm going to just come at it from a slightly different angle, if that's okay. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood up on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell in good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. You jump to verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anybody hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand that the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart, this is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they, root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling on the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yield in 160 or 30 times what was given. There are many ways that we can apply this passage. Some of them were looked at last week. Um, we could apply it to evangelism and the type of soil that we should be trying to sow our seed into of the gospel. We can think about it in response to, well, this is what it's really about in many ways, the different responses that you're going to find when the seed of the gospel is sown. You're going to find sometimes when you sow seed where it feels like it's landed on the ground, but what has happened is it's quickly stolen by the enemy. You're going to find sometimes where it feels like you get a response from somebody, it looks like it's been planted a little bit, but then stuff happens in life, because stuff happens in life, doesn't it? You know, people close to us die. We go through difficult situations and circumstances, and we feel like the world is against us. And the rocks come and they try to snuff out the life. The troubles of this world are like the rocks. They get round it and all of a sudden it feels like the life is squeezed out of us. And the fruitfulness is stifled. And then there's other people who they receive the, the, the soil. It feels again like they're going well. But then they just get caught up in the deceitfulness of riches. They get a bit obsessed with the not godly ambition. They get kind of consumed with, I don't know, wealth or materialism or whatever it might be. And they get choked through the weeds. And then there's a soil that finds good seed, sorry, that finds good soil. And they respond and bring forth fruit. 
And, uh, and so we're going to see that as we sow the seeds of the gospel. But what it also tells us is that not only is this about the seeds that's sown in uh, how we share evangelism, but also speaks to us about our own hearts. And that's where we were brought last week. What is the receptivity of our own heart? I think that is what this is getting at. This is the heart of what this particular parable about, is about. What condition is your own heart in? How ready are you to receive the seed of the kingdom? How, um, how is this parable touching your heart in a way that helps the condition of your heart to receive the seed? This is the key to understanding this parable. Let me maybe ask you that question. How soft is your heart? How soft of you allow? How teachable is your heart? How much have you allowed the presence of God to soften up your heart so that you can receive the seed of the kingdom? This is what I think Jesus is trying to say to the disciples. This is what the kingdom is like. How humble are you be, to be taught the ways of the kingdom? How much are we willing to count the cost for what it means to be part of the kingdom of God? Because ultimately, if we aren't ready to be good soil, if our hearts don't become a warm, receptive seedbed for the seed of the gospel, then we'll miss the vision of the kingdom that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. We'll get choked by the wealth of the world. We'll, get, we'll go through difficult times and play the victim and find ourselves being snuffed out a little bit. And God wants to move in that area of our life so that we can become soft to the seed of his kingdom so we can bring forth fruit. But what I want to think about today is how is this understanding of being good soil that we've been challenged about, how does this connect it to the seed? Because it's kind of implied in the parable. But you see, the problem is sometimes that we're not, we don't develop a heart that is good soil because we're not quite sure of the quality of the seed. Now, we kind of do, but sometimes it's important for us to go around uh, our thinking and our hearts again to think a little bit about what actually is the seed. What is the seed of the kingdom that Jesus is talking about? And how can we leave here today in the next 15 or 20 minutes with a little bit more confidence in the seed of the gospel that Jesus is talking about? These are the questions that we're asking. What is the seed being sown? What is the seed that we want to sow in our community? And how can we become confident in this seed? Well, let me start for a moment by talking about the metaphor of the seed in the Bible, because it seems throughout the biblical story that the seed metaphor is used a lot. Seeds in the biblical narrative are a metaphor of how God carries his dream for the world, right? Just let me say it again. Seeds throughout the scriptures are a metaphor or a symbol of how God carries his dream or his purposes for the world. Now, I could go off on a whole tangent here and just think about, and we will in a couple of weeks when we talk about a mustard seed, right? But just think about that for a moment. Think about the all-powerful, almighty God, right, who holds the heavens, as we said earlier, in the palm of his hands, and yet the way that he symbolizes the purposes and dreams for the world are in and through a tiny little seed, right? But it's significant. Seed symbolizes none less than the very life and dream of God, the nature, the character of who he is, which he wants to plant and impregnate inside his image bearers that they may carry. Seed contains the promise and longing of God to share his very triune life with all of humanity. And to help prove this story a little bit, I want to go back in time in the story to the person of Abraham. Remember after God created the world, okay? So we hopefully know that bit of the story. At the very start, God creates the world. Sin ravishes the world and disrupts God's plans for the world and hu human rebellion. 
And then God floods the earth to kind of start again. New creation starts again, and then the people rebel again, and then we get to Genesis chapter 10, 11, and we have the Torah of Babel where God has to scatter them. So it's almost like kind of a couple of false starts, if that's not too irreverent to say. And we come then to Genesis chapter 12, and God wants to plant this seed of promise because God's original intention was to fill the whole earth with his presence, that he picks this man called Abram. And what I want you to try and understand today is God wants to plant a seed of promise inside a man, a wandering old man who had nothing more to live for, really. Uh, It was a meaningless enough existence. And God wants to plant a seed of promise that through him, God's dreary dream would come to pass. So if we jump to Genesis chapter 12, a verse, uh, verses I read a lot um, here, the Lord said to Abram, This is one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible, by the way, okay, if you want to understand the big picture. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. God God is looking, basically, a willing partner, a friend who will come into intimate friendship with him in such a way that he will carry his dream for the world. This is the seed of promise. The problem is Sarah, his wife, is barren, and she's old, and Abraham is old, right? It doesn't take you to be like, you know, a scientist to work out. They're at the age where they can't really reproduce anything, never mind be the father of the nations. And so Abraham has to go about learning a little bit about what this promise is all about and how he's going to receive it. It's not just about Abram getting what he wants, which is a son that he never had. It's about Abram partnering with God and being entrusted as a human being with the very dream and purposes of God for all mankind. It's not just about Abram and Sarah getting the miracle of conceiving a child. It's about the very dream of God being conceived in Sarah's womb and in Abram's heart, so that through them, all the nations will be blessed. And again, it doesn't take a scientist to tell you that conception will only ever happen in the place of intimacy. And so God has to get this man. It's not like a handout. Here's a present for you, Abram. It's no, I want to chisel down into your heart. I want to wean you off all the ways that you trust yourself. I want to I wanna wean you off all your independence, all the ways that you think that you can get through this life on your own. I, wanna, I, want you to, I want you to give up all of that so that you can come into intimate union with me. And through that, I can conceive the very dream for all humanity in your heart and in your spirit. Abram has to learn that the presence precedes the promise. Have you ever had a kind of time in your life where somebody has given you a promise or you've thought that God has given you a promise and it's just felt like, is there any chance, God? <laughs> Everyone through a time like that, you know? Well, God has to get us often to a time, and it's not like God sends bad things, but God uses stuff that happens in life that's difficult to get us to the place where He wants us to be at one with Him. And that God, God's, as in the C.S. Lewis that said, God's primary desire is not to make you happy, it's to make you like Himself. And so He loves it when we're happy, but His deeper desire is to make us like Him. And so often he uses what we go through in life so that we won't become like the seed that kind of gets up a bit, 
But then the things that go wrong in life or the curves of this world kind of either choke it or snuff it out. But we would become this good soil with the actual dream of God. Imagine carrying the dream of God. And each and every one of us are being called to this. It's all about receptivity. It's Abram's, it takes 25 years, by the way, for Abram, right? But eventually his heart becomes this receptive seedbed to receive the promise of God in his life. He gets to this yielded point. And the amazing thing about it is, his life is so yielded at the end, so surrendered. He tries to do it by himself, by the way, which we all do, and has a son with his maidservant, with Sarah's maidservant, and he's called Ishmael. But that, that son came through human manufacturing. That was trying to shoehorn the purposes of God the way you want to in your life. Abraham, Isaac came through fully surrendered, intimate, intimate surrender. And so he was called Isaac because he couldn't call him anything else. Because Isaac means laughter. It was like the fullness of the joy that comes when you give up your own life to receive the seed of the kingdom. And so I'm telling you this story because I want you to understand how your story if you're a Christian today or you want to be a Christian today, I want you to realize that your story is, is connected to Sarah's barren womb. Your salvation has everything to do with this story that I've just told you. It's not a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. But the, the promise that Abram contended for is the promise that through all, um, through all his descendants, all nations would be blessed. Because seeds produce fruit, and fruit produces seed, and seeds produce fruit, and fruit produces seed. And so this seed of promise that was planted in Abram back in Genesis chapter 12 actually moves right through the story. And sometimes when you read the story of God, it looks like the story's hanging by the thread. There's numerous times that in historical terms, Israel should not have survived. When a big empire comes in and takes a bunch of like slaves, they just usually snuff them out. They just usually obliterate them. And sometimes this seed of promise went into dark empires. It was in Egypt, and it was in Babylon, and it was in all these places when there was only maybe a handful of people that were still hanging on, when everybody else had rebelled. There was a few people that hung on, a remnant of people, and the seed of promise was carried through history, through epochs of time, through, through centuries, through millenniums. The seed of promise is carried, and then... We come to the New Testament, we come to Jesus, and Jesus is the embodiment of this promise. Jesus is the walking, living, talking embodiment of the promise of God, and the promise of God is that God will not give up in humanity, that no matter how many times it turns from Him, no matter how many times it walks away from Him, God will keep coming for humanity, which is why in the picture that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, we get a window into the whole story, basically which is a father who's still looking out to see if his son will come home. And once he sees him, he will run towards him. And Jesus comes as the embodiment of this promise. He, he lives it, and he dies it, and he rises again. And so back to this parable then, when Jesus talks about you, the parable of the sower and the seed, he's talking about this promise. He's talking about this promise that God is still coming for lost sons and daughters, that God is coming to reveal his love, to die on the cross, to deal with the sin of the world, to rise from the dead, and to set up his kingdom on the earth because he is going to do what he always originally wanted to do, which was to fill the whole earth with his presence. And so it's a seed, it's not a seed of just where you go to when you die. That, that's important. 
but it's the seed of the kingdom that God in Jesus is setting up his rule and reign on the earth. And he wants us to be part of it. And he's come to deal with darkness and the devil and all the demons. And so how do we receive this promise? How do we receive this seed? First of all, we receive it as a gift. <laughs> Just think about that for a moment, right? If you want that, you receive it as a gift. This is what Abraham tells us. It's grace. And we receive it through faith. At this point, to, to try and make the point, I could kick into you know, a rendition of Father Abraham had many songs and get you all up and we could shake all our arms, heads and lay whatever way you do it. But he is the father of our faith for a reason because he contended for the promise and he believed by faith. He heard the voice of the God, of God, the God he could not see and he listened to it and he obeyed it and he journeyed with him. And so we receive it by grace. Look at this scripture on the screen. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it might be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abram's offspring, right? This is way before the law, for those of you who know a little bit of the Old Testament. It was received by faith. Secondly, it is received by dying to ourselves. Like Abraham, we have to realize we only truly receive the fullness of the promise when we give up ourselves, when we're weaned from our own independence, we can only fully partner with God and the dream of God when we surrender our dreams to him. This is the good soil that Jesus talks to us about. This is why the seed and the soil have to go together in the parable. Because the thing about it is the sower is always good. There's no problem with the sower. And there's never any real problem with the seed. The problem is we just don't know how powerful it is. And therefore, we don't create a warm, receptive, often seedbed in our hearts to receive the power and the beauty and the glory of all that's contained within this seed. And so Jesus just doesn't teach us the way of the kingdom. He shows us it. He, he dies so we don't have to actually physically die. But what does die is the part of us, right, that, that thought, the thought, what does die is our flesh, and that's who we think we are, but that's not our true self, right? So I think I have that, yeah, we receive the promise by, back one, Johnny, we receive the promise by dying to ourself, the part we thought was us, in order to become our true self. So when we follow Jesus, if you like, in the death, we don't have to actually physically die, because Jesus did that for us, but when we choose to give up the construct of our life that we have built, or we think other people want us to be, when we give that up to be God's, we become our true self, which is why in this scripture that, that um, we see on the screen, the message version, well-known scripture, John chapter 12, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and produces itself many reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. If we die to ourselves, we receive life in all its fullness that is packed with potential. Multiplier effect, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. So the last five minutes or so, to try and pull together some of the threads that I've said, Three things to leave you with about this seed in this parable. This is the good news that Jesus came to Corinth. 
God has not left us. God has come for us. God is fulfilling his purpose through us to set up his kingdom on earth. And so the seed that we receive this morning, three things. First and foremost, it is the seed of new creation or the seed of resurrection power. You need to know that the seed that is placed in your heart when you receive Jesus is packed with resurrection power. There's enough power in that seed to raise the dead, right? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get that. That's my second point, right? But this, this, this is a seed of new life. It specializes in bringing dead things to life. Uh, in that scripture I had on the screen a minute ago, referencing Abram, I'll not, I'll not read it all again, but it says, the God who gives life to dead and calls into being the things that are not. The seed of new creation. We, the born again sort of tag gets gets, uh, you know, kind of bandied about and sometimes not great ways these days. But it's important we don't use, lose that term because that, it's, it's exactly what happened to us when we come to something. It's not like life enhancement. It's not behavior modification. It's not like dress yourself up on a Sunday and do the moral kind of high ground thing. It's actually being born again, a new creation. The old can go and the new can come. There is great hope in this seed. And so even though with Jesus, darkness had done its worst, worst Jesus' love was so strong that even when he went into the ground, his life like a seed, the, the love was so strong, the ground couldn't hold it, and he, he came up out of the grave. This is the seed of resurrection power. It's a seed of new creation. That's what you're receiving. You're receiving a seed where something new can happen to you, a new power can take over your life. You can become a new person, the person you were actually always born to be. Secondly, it is a seed of imperishable or indestructible hope. Look at this scripture from 1 Peter. For you have been, or it is, born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. <laughs> imperishable seed. You, you can't destroy this seed. It's going to live forever. Even when these perishable bodies go into the grave, go into the ground. The imperishable seed lives on. One day Jesus is going to come back and those bodies are going to rise from the grave and this corruptible is going to put on incorruptible. This is the perishable seed. This is the imperishable seed. Back to Abram for a moment. Look at this on the screen. Next verse, I think, Johnny. Against all hope. This is Paul. I, I'm talking about Abram today because Paul did. So he used Abram as a bit of a paradigm to help the early church understand this all. And so in Romans, he says, against all hope, Abram in hope believed and became, and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Anybody feel like that at the moment? <laughs> Anybody ever feel like my body feels as good as dead at the moment, right? Yeah, and all you're trying to think about is getting up off the sofa. Stephen, Mac Stephen McIntyre used to say to me, you, used to, you remember you used to be able to get off the sofa without grunting, right? It's, a, it's that kind of a thing. Well, this, Ab Ab Abraham, right? Abraham, his body is good as dead. And it wasn't just to get off the sofa. It was to carry with his wife a child and to parent it and, 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 and to bring it into the world. It's unbelievable, isn't it, really? But he hoped against hope. When all hope was gone, he kept on hoping since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. So he, 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 his body's as good as dead. She, she, she's barren. Her, her, her womb's dead, in a sense. 
And, and yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise, but was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he said he could do. This is the power of that seed. I want to finish with the story, and then I'll just make mention of the last point in closing. Put the next image on, would you? In 1883, this is a place, uh, my friend Mark Sayers talks about this, and I've always thought it was an amazing analogy. True story. This island in 1883, it's called Krakatoa Island. It's kind of one of the Indonesian islands. It's the largest explosion probably that ever happened in history. So we know like awful things like Hiroshima and things like that happened. Apparently the explosion in Krakatoa was 10,000 more times more powerful than Hiroshima. It killed 36,000 people and destroyed three quarters of the island. It was such a big explosion that world temperatures apparently dropped for one and a half degrees right around the world for the next five years. Incredible effect on the whole world. Some people went to see it not long after all of this explosion had happened. And uh, it was completely devastated. Most of the island was lost. Totally dead. Totally rock. No sign of any life. It was known as, and still known, I think, as the biggest volcanic eruption probably ever. But three years after this event, in 1886, this little boat of botanists went out to see what had happened. And when they went to see it three years later, they found mosses and algae, which had carried seed, and fern had started to grow, and some grasses had even started to grow, and even flowering plants had started to grow. The algae had brought the seeds, the wind had brought the seeds, the animals, the birds, and the bird poo, basically, probably brought, brought the seeds. And all of those things together, 55 years later, 170 different species of plant were found on Krakatoa. Put on the next slide. So this is what Krakatoa looks like now, after uh, years after this explosion. The seeds were blown onto the ground, barren, in a place that was barren and dead and destroyed. And yet the seeds of the kingdom got sown in barren, dead places, and hope started to rise, and grasses started to grow, and life started to come, and flourishing started to come. And maybe, just maybe today, that's your life. Maybe your heart, maybe your soul, maybe your circumstances feel like that, hopeless. Feels like the biggest explosion that's ever happened in your life has just taken place. Or you can't get away from the time when that big explosion did take place. And today, the Spirit of God wants to move in this place and bring the seeds of His kingdom and plant them in some of the most desolate, broken places when everything else seems impossible and plant hope in your life and hope that is imperishable. Hope that will not ever in this world or in the world to come will never die. And we can apply that to our culture. We're living in a moment where it feels like we've had an explosion, doesn't it? It feels like you know, there's been desolation and devastation and brokenness, and it feels like we're hitting more of that as we try to even come out of it. We're seeing that in people's lives. And yet, we serve a God whose kingdoms are not of this world, right? And we serve a God who's, who, who gives us hope beyond the hope of this world. We don't have to sorrow with those who uh, have no hope like us, but we can share that hope. And, and so I want us to think about that today, and as I want us to think about 
our community a little bit. Like, what would it mean like if we start to sow the seeds of the kingdom of God into places of hopelessness and maybe even to your own heart today? Let me just finish with this. We'll get to this in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead. It's a seed of supernatural fruitfulness. It's a seed of potential for fruit. Sorry, a seed speaks of potential for fruit and for the promise of possibility and growth and multiplication. Go back to the, go back to the, the one more slide on, Johnny. will show us. In Matthew 13, we go back to the parable, and at the end it says, the seed that falls on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 130, 60, what was sown. This is the seed that we want to receive, a seed of supernatural fruitfulness. It, it, won't, it won't just do something in your life. It'll multiply through your life exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. Think of our own story as a church. Like, think of that seed of, like, whenever it was, 1998 or whatever it was, where we sat in a little room in Phil's living room, you know, just like eight or nine people, just hungry for God. Think about the seeds of your life, the seeds of, Upper Bound Vineyard and that story and how it's multiplied, how it's multiplied. We could never have imagined how it's multiplied. Sure, we could, we could never imagine what God would have done and could have done. We could never imagine the people that have come to Jesus, the people that have got set free. And so we look to the future and we look to the horizon with hope for exceedingly, abundantly. For the seed that's coming looks small, looks insignificant, but it brings forth fruit 30-fold, 60-fold. Those of you who run businesses would love to have that multiplier effect in your business, wouldn't you? You would love to have something that's that small that you could just like put in and go, right, if I just give it that seed, it's going to get 30, 60, 100 fold. That's the seed of the kingdom. If it finds good soil and if we are prepared to die to ourselves in order to receive the, seeds, the, so, the seed of the kingdom. And so as I finish today, how are we receiving the seed? How are we receiving the seed? What's the condition of your heart? And where are you going to sow it? Where can we sow this seed? Last slide. This is, this is this, that the seed contains in 30 words as we finish. Jesus is God with us. Came to reveal God loves us died for his sins, set up his kingdom, and he's calling us to follow him. And he is returning soon. That is the gospel in 30 words, summarizing what I've just tried to tell you. You can download that on our website. I'd encourage you to. I'd stick it on your phone and I'd think about how can I share the simple message of the gospel that changes and transforms the world. That's it in 30 words. This is the seed of promise that God wants us to receive in their own hearts and to share with others. Amen? Let's stand our feet and let me pray for you. Just for a moment, we're out of time. So I'm not going to prolong this. But the Lord's here this morning. And the Lord's speaking. And I just want to I want to ask if you're here today and for the first time in your life you want to receive the promise of God that he is for you, that he loves you, 
that he's died for you and he wants you to receive his life as you give him yours. I just want to pray for a moment. And if you would like to pray this prayer with me, just even under your breath or even out loud if you want to, if you want to receive Jesus for the first time in your life, if you feel like the whole, like almost inside you something feels like being unsettled today, but in a good way, that's just the Lord inviting you into his life. And so you pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you bore my sins on the cross. You took my old life on the cross. I give that to you. I ask you to come and live in me. Give me yourself. And create in me a new person. Come and be the Lord of my life and best friend. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, I just pray in this place tonight for any other person, God, who is just going through difficulty, Lord, and their own life feels like the island of Krakatoa. I just pray right now, God, that the seeds of the hope of, king, of your kingdom would be blown and settle in those desolate parts of their heart. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the resurrection power that's contained in the seed of promise would start to find good soil in their heart as they receive it and as they hope for it and hope towards it. I ask that that would come now in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for all of us as we leave this place that you would bless us with fresh courage and fresh power and fresh desire to sow the seed of the kingdom wherever you've called us to in our daily lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Lord bless you all this morning. It's been great to see you. If you'd like us to pray for you, if you'd like to chat about anything, we're always here to do that. If you've got kids, it'd be great if you could go and lift them. That would be wonderful. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see you through the week, okay? God bless you all.